What if in 2024, you got a little bit better every day? When you're learning a new language with Babbel, that's exactly what you're doing. And if Babbel can help you start speaking a new language in just three weeks, imagine what you could do in a full year. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's convenient courses are helping me learn real-life conversation skills in Spanish. It's getting so easy to learn how to order food, ask for directions, or speak to merchants. Studies from Yale, Michigan State University, and others continue to prove Babbel is better. One study found that using Babbel for 15 hours is equivalent to a full semester at college. Babbel has over 16 million subscriptions sold. Plus, all of Babbel's 14 award-winning language courses are backed by their 20-day money-back guarantee. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 55% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com SPP. That's right. Get 55% off at babbel.com slash SPP. That's spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash SPP. Rules and restrictions may apply. The podcast where we talk to smart people, but not necessarily done by smart people. That is an awesome question. This one goes down probably on one of my top five. Hey, I like nutrition. I like to eat food. This is the coolest thing ever. We're going to do this forever. I wish I paid more attention in that class. You know, I'm going to be honest, I don't understand that. As a man, I just, I don't get it. Welcome to smartpeoplepodcast.com. Hello and welcome to Smart People Podcast, conversations that satisfy your curious mind. I sound weird. Okay, I sound weird. I have a cold. Uh, I had a cold during this interview, so it's not something wrong with your ears or your headphones. That's just me. Part of the job. Anyways, excited to bring you this one. Look, this one was tough for me. I don't understand this subject extremely well, and I couldn't at first understand the importance to the average person, but two things I will say. Well, three things. One, our guest this week, Rob, brilliant, high energy, the kind of person you want to listen to. Two, in his detailed yet formatted way of explaining some of these things, he brought them over to me. And so I hope the same will happen to you. And three, by the end, like listen to the end, because he says, here's what I want people to take away from my book and this message. And I loved it. Wow. So anyways, what are we talking about? We're talking about how people and the organizations they work for need to start understanding we live in a world where we're blending digital with physical. And the only way we can be successful is when every single one of us understands that. And by every single one, Let's take my podcast, for example. It's a digital product, but you are listening to it in your physical world. Are you in your car? You walk in a dog? You listening kind of on the side while you do other things? Are you like me where you have to put all your attention into it? What device are you listening to it on? How's the sound impact your ears? Is it good? Is it high volume, low volume? All these things, if we understood them better, we could be a better podcast. This conversation opened that up for me. So we're talking to Robert Siegel. He is the author of the new book, The Brains and Brawn Company, How Leading Organizations Blend the Best of Digital 
and physical. And as I mentioned, it essentially is about how we need to blend these two worlds. We call it the old and the new, or the hip and the not hip, or whatever. We need to blend them to be successful. Why Rob? Well, Rob is a lecturer at Stanford Graduate School of Business. He is general partner at XSeed Capital and a venture partner at Piva. Sits on the board of a lot of companies, co-president emeritus of Stanford Angels and Entrepreneurs, had a 30-year career as a senior leader. I mean, he's been out there doing this and now teaches. So not only does he know it, he knows how to explain it. He also went to Berkeley, got his MBA from Stanford. Smart guy. That's a prereq. I hope you enjoy this one. I hope you learned something new. Shoot us an email. Let me know what you think. Chris at smartpeoplepodcast.com. Remember, you can support us, patreon.com slash smartpeoplepodcast. For as little as $2 a month, you could have asked Rob or any of our coming guests a question of your own. Lastly, if you're wondering, when are you going back to weekly episodes? It's coming. It just takes a while to transition these things. More going on here than I can even deal with. So anyways, with that, excited to turn it over to Robert Siegel as we talk about his brand new book, The Brains and Brawn Company. Enjoy. Look, I was telling you this before we really started here. Uh, you've got this new book, The Brains and Brawn Company, and it's about uh, digital versus physical in organizations. And I, I have to start here. Listeners know this. I am not the most tech savvy. I don't even, me and tech don't get along. So I want to start here. When we talk about companies needing to go digital, digital innovation, digital this, what do they even mean? I would say that historically, or in the conventional wisdom, it means that largely incumbent organizations like Nestle, like whom you work for, that have been around a long time and been successful, have generally been behind in embracing digital technologies. And that can be anything from how you communicate with customers, can be how you communicate internally, systems that maybe are still done on fax machines as opposed to putting them in computers. And it's been a lot of a, a discussion around reducing costs, if you will, using computers for kind of operational efficiency. And the, the, the language has changed in the last few years to say, but digitization can be more than that. It can also be about how you, you know, can get input from your customers on an ongoing basis, et cetera. And, and what prompted me to write the book is on a couple of courses that I teach at Stanford, one of them is called the industrialist dilemma and the other one's called systems leadership. We started studying, you know, large successful industrial and incumbent organizations from healthcare to you know, consumer packaged goods to insurance, but also looking at a lot of the digital disruptors. And what we found was that the best organizations were actually not just talking about digitization. It was about how they combine digital and physical. And we saw this in companies like Instacart or Lyft or 23andMe on the disruptor side. And on the incumbent side, companies like Target or GSK in the pharmaceutical industry or Kaiser Permanente in healthcare. And so we really started to understand that this hype around digitization was kind of nice, but it's not a panacea. There are some things about the physical world which are not going to go away. We remain a physical species, Chris, that, and that's going to be with us forever. Yeah, as you were talking about that, and again, I don't know anything about this, but I was reminded of a conversation I had with the guy who uh, I built this podcast with, who's much more technological, and he was talking about Facebook's multiverse. And I was like, when I first heard it, I'm going, that doesn't seem possible or feasible 
because it seems like the over digitalization of a human endeavor. I don't know. Right. Does that, what do you think I, about that? I think it might be possible and it might be feasible. My question is, is it interesting? And, and and so like there are, will be times when we can't be together where we will use digital to help us connect. We're doing it, you know, right now in the middle of the pandemic with Zoom and everything else. Virtual worlds like Neil Stevenson wrote Snow Crash over, you know, almost 30 years ago. So like mm -hmm. the whole idea of a metaverse, that's not new. I mean, mm -hmm. I remember being at Intel in the 90s and talking to the, the founders of Intel, of you know, Gordon Moore and Andy Grove about the metaverse 30 years ago. But the question is, like, I was in Europe about six weeks ago for a week of business meetings. It was awesome. I got to tell you, being in the same room with people, we got more done in the rooms than we have on Zoom in the last 18 months. Now, it's yeah. not about or, it's about and. There might be times when we might use tools where we can't be together, where it might be more cost effective, but it's not going to replace human interactions. And so I think that that's the whole, one of the premises of the book is like, you're going to have digital and physical. And when you blend them both together, that's how you can really serve customers better. Ah, there's the key point, serving customers. Because what I wanted to ask is, let's imagine, you know, there's plenty of people listening right now who own businesses, senior leaders, movers and shakers, people driving the direction. But there's even more, a lot like myself, that are order takers to an extent. Why do we care about this? Like, why, why do we want to know about physical versus digital, how I use both, how they intersect, and why do your students care? So imagine a world where every product and service is connected. Like right now, you and I are talking to each other. I'm in actually in my home office, which has become a television studio. Mm -hmm. And I have the ability, if I'm not on campus teaching in the classroom, I can actually be teaching from my home studio to people all over the world. And you're going to see increasingly so that businesses are going to have these digital and physical components. I mean, let's look at a company like Target, right? A retail company. During the pandemic, what they were able to do was they had the online ordering system for groceries. And then you could actually drive to the store and have it delivered in your car, right? So when you have a world where products and services blend digital and physical, no matter what role you have in an organization, you actually have to kind of start to see the bigger picture about how things fit together. It's almost like there's a flow. There's a flow of goods, there's a flow of data, and everything's constantly in motion and interacting with each other. And so I think that whether you're, let's say you're in business development or you're in finance or you're in manufacturing, you've got to understand what's happening in other parts of your organization and even what's happening outside of the building the building that shapes your job. And so I think one of the things that's fundamentally different is you used to be able to be into a factory and say, okay, I'm just responsible for making whatever it is I'm supposed to make. And then somebody will ship it out and sell it in retail stores. Now it's very different because half of the goods that we manufacture today have a connected component as well. So our relationship with the customers are an ongoing conversation, not just a one-off transaction. And so as you think about this in whatever function you're inside of an organization, you've got to think about an ongoing and continuous flow of goods, services, bits and bytes that go in between multiple locations. And so, for example, the sales organization might sell something and that could completely change what the factory floor has to do. The person on the factory floor needs to understand what the sales team is talking to the customer about and understanding how that might change his or her job. Similarly, if you're in finance or in a support function, you've got to understand what's going on outside of the building to understand what's shaping the numbers that you're seeing, especially as you know business models change in a world where goods are connected and you've got ongoing, you know, maybe software relationships where you're charging people what used to be a one-time transaction now becomes an ongoing subscription types of transaction. So it's really about seeing the flow. And I think while the students are interested in it, well, you know, great is 
wonderful to go to work for Facebook or Google or Twitter or choose your, you know, Snowflake, choose your favorite awesome tech company. But there's a big world out there. There's seven and a half billion people. And the students that we teach come from all over the world. And so like what things are going to look like and what the nature of these products are going to be like is going to be very different all over the world. And even traditional businesses like healthcare, like, you know, healthcare is going to be delivered very, very differently through talking to a doctor in an office, as well as, you know, when we do video conferencing with our doctors as well, you know, digital ongoing, you know, measuring of how we sleep, how we eat and what we do everything's going to be changed by this. And so I think the students are interested in trying to understand how this blend of digital and physical will create both opportunities, both in small companies, but also in large organizations for their careers. You mentioned a company, just one that stuck with me, you said Instacart. And it made me think of, what about these primarily digital companies? What do they need to know about physical? You know, if I'm a, a, a SaaS company or a web app or who knows what, why, why do I care about uh, physical when I am a solely digital organization? Because I don't think there are any solely digital organizations and those that are will be very limited in their opportunity. There's no way we can say that Instacart is a solely digital company. They've got to manage the shoppers that go into the stores. They, they've got to you know, manage the goods that get delivered and make sure things are on time. That's all part of what's going on. And so you, if you say, we're just going to stay digital and we're going to stay kind of clean and we're going to sit behind a screen all day, that's not the real world. And so whether you're looking at something like 23andMe, which starts with software and spin, but now they're going to get into drug development. You've got to figure out how are the drugs going to get manufactured? How are they going to get distributed? How are they going to get sold? You look at a company, even like, let's say desktop metal, which is a 3D additive manufacturing company. Well, there's a physical component to that, but software is a big part of it as well because they need to understand what sort of materials need to be put into the machines. They're going to actually put factories at their customer site, this whole notion of you're going to build a factory somewhere else and then ship goods out, you know, desktop metal and additive manufacturing turns that on its head. So I think that there really isn't just this notion of a digital only company. I mean, even Facebook is talking about, you know, how are they going to be, you know, making some of the goods and services that we interact with? What about Amazon? Amazon with, you know, their logistics systems, their delivery systems are, you know, are my echo. If I say her name right now, when I'm talking to you, she's going to wake <laughs> up and say, hi, Rob, what do you want? Right. There are all of these devices devices that are always talking and they're all going to be connected. I mean, even Google, which is largely an advertising company, if you look at Android, they've got Google Assistant and everything else. There are so many ways that we interact with our software that it's very, very different in different contexts about how we want to consume the information that we get. Last example, I'll give us Spotify. Your experience on Spotify is different on your phone, different than your computer and different in your car. Spotify has got to understand the physical nature of how people are consuming the media so they can deliver a great experience in those locations. Mm, that's a good point. It reminds me of, somebody told me a story once, it was about fighter jets and they built fighter jets to the average specification of a man, okay? So they built these, these whole things and come to find out like no one is built that way. <laughs> the average. And so all the instruments were wrong. It was like billions and billions of dollars of mistake over that. The reason I bring it up is in my mind, we are separating physical and digital or brains and brawn right behind the computer and out yeah. in the field. And that leads to grave mistakes in the way we execute whatever we're executing. 
Let me give a very simple example of what you just talked about, which maybe we'll kind of get to this. Um, the first is, I don't know if you're familiar with Align Technology. They make the clear plastic aligners for teeth oh, yeah. straightening. Do you, I don't yeah. know if you had them or if you have I, kids. I don't, have but yeah, I know of them. Okay, I know so, of, like, so, there's multiples, right? Yeah, multiples. right. Okay. Yeah, yeah. But Align Technology is the one who really figured out like how to do clear plastic aligners. They were the innovators. By the way, they are far and away the largest. I mean, okay. everybody else is a distant second. Hmm. And so what's interesting about the business is it's the ultimate combination of digital and physical. They take a digital image of your mouth and they take all these pictures of your teeth. And then they come up working with CAD CAM software, the ability to come up with a plan to straighten your teeth. And by the way, it's highly customized for your mouth. And so they, they work with the orthodontist, they get it set, and then they make the clear plastic aligners. And these clear plastic aligners, making them is not easy. And so you've got this real digital process that replaces braces, it replaces brackets and wires. And what's so cool about it, did you know that Align Technology, this company that's worth about $60 billion, they are the world's largest user of 3D printers. They send out 500,000 customized teeth molds per day that they send out to people all over the world. And they what? can give you a customized, yeah, and they can give you a customized smile because what's considered an attractive smile in North America is different than South America, is different than Asia, is different than Europe. It's the ultimate blend of digital huh. and physical. And so this is kind of where I think where you can see some amazing opportunities and new things that can be done and huge you know, ways to grow your business, way to grow your career. When you look at how can you combine things together and that's where you, you start to see, I think the real magic that, that is gonna be uh, capable for every type of organization. This episode is brought to you by Hims. We don't wanna admit it, but 52% of men over 40 experience some form of erectile dysfunction. But like many health problems, no one wants to talk about or take up hours of your day to deal with it. That's why you need to check out Hims. Hims is changing men's healthcare by providing simple and convenient access to science-backed treatments for erectile dysfunction, hair loss, weight loss, and more. The entire process is 100% online, so you can get a new routine of improving your overall health faster. Hims offers an array of high-quality options, including pills or chews for ED and serums, sprays, or oral options for hair loss. If prescribed, your medication ships directly to you for free and in discreet packaging. No waiting rooms and no pharmacy visits. No insurance is needed. Pay one low price for your treatments, online visits, ongoing shipments, and provider messaging. You can even manage your plan on the Hims app, track progress, and learn more about your conditions and how to treat them from leading medical experts. Start your free online visit today at hymns.com slash smart. That's H-I-M-S dot com slash smart for your personalized treatment options. One last time, hymns.com slash smart. Prescriptions require an online consultation with a healthcare provider who will determine if appropriate. Restrictions apply. See hymns.com slash twist for details and important safety information. Subscription required. Price varies based on product and subscriptions plan. So I think you very eloquently explained to a layman the importance. And let me let me tell you where I come. I approach everything from the human lens. That's just my lens. That is it. And I think, okay, you know, what is the human lens here? And it's this fact that it's hard for the human lens to think digitally. As I know, it's hard for many for the digital lens to think human or physical, right? So an engineer, the prototypical, 
you know, I sit in a dark basement and code for 78 hours straight while drinking Mountain Dew. And I'm being facetious, but, uh, you know, to, to, to think about the physical world uh, is difficult. So is that something you talk about, touch on, teach how to yeah. think both ways when you naturally think in one or the other? So you actually, I think, Chris highlighted two important points there. So the first is the, the real issue that you get is what I call systems leadership. And I think leadership going forward is you're going to really have to kind of break out of the mold of I'm, I stay in one function and I stay good at one thing. That I think real business leaders going forward are going to be able to have this duality of understanding digital and physical. They're going to understand how to map new business models with new technologies. They're going to know how to think both short-term and long-term. And so I think if you stay kind of in a particular function and just assume that your teammates will cover the other parts, that won't be enough because you've really got to start to see the interactions of these things. I think that great leaders going forward will have a product manager's mindset. You know, product managers, I like to joke in one of the courses I teach, they're responsible for everything and they own nothing, right? Yeah. So you've <laughs> gotta understand like how do you understand really what the customer wants how do you bring that knowledge inside of the company and work with the engineering team to get a product built then how do you get it made and then how do you work with a sales team to kind of get it sold and each of those functions with whom you work they've got to think of you as being part of their organization even if you're not they think that you're one of them and so i think that this really you have to understand um, how other parts of your organization work and how the interactions between them. I think that's critical. The other thing you talked about, let's talk about bias. In conventional wisdom, you know, especially in the vernacular today, bias is often ascribed to issues around race and gender issues. But bias, you know, we're all biased. We're biased as a species. Oh, yeah. That's how we evolved. Um, in my one of my venture funds that I'm involved in, my partner, he was trained as a lawyer and I used to run companies. So we look at every investment opportunity. I'm looking at it through an operating lens. He's looking at it through a legal lens. Well, that's bias, right? And so I think one of the things that leaders and, and people are going to have to do in their careers is understand like, how am I constrained by how I think because of how I was raised and how can I, you know, augment and complement what I might be missing. And so if I'm only thinking like a marketing person or an engineer or a manufacturing person, I'm going to miss the system. I'm going to miss the big picture. And with everything being connected, you've got to see the system. I love that. It's hard to do though. So I was thinking about going into, you know, the, the specifics of careers, but I can't get past, you talked about a class you teach called the industrialist dilemma. And like, this, this is how I think about these interviews. I, I have to know what that is. So what, what is that? first of all. So I got a call about seven years ago from Aaron Levy, the CEO of Box. And Aaron said, Rob, I have an idea for a class. And he basically, we started talking about it. And it was this idea that digital organizations are now increasingly going into traditional industrial businesses. So instead of one tech company attacking another tech company, you've got tech companies attacking mobility, uh, you know, attacking healthcare, attacking financial services, companies like Stripe, et cetera. And so what we thought the class was going to be was we were going to show some incumbents, most of whom were going to die, maybe a few who were going to do well, and digital disruptors who were going to change the world. And the more we studied it, the more we realized we were wrong that what we found was that how you developed products in the old days, even when I ran my division of GE, what I'll call traditional product management, was changing indeed in the new world order with digitization. And so we were able to call that out. And then we were able to highlight how you have to organize differently. If you're gonna develop products differently, you've got to organize your company differently. What we found was that the incumbents were actually pretty clever about what was going on, the ones that we studied. And some of the disruptors were pretty, had some blind spots 
trying to understand, oh, like manufacturing, we'll just kind of, you know, ship that off somewhere else and we won't have to worry about it. We'll use contract manufacturing. And so as we really got into the class, we wanted to study how some companies were doing a great job of adapting and using digital and physical together. And some companies who are struggling and try to understand why. And, and that really kind of became the foundation. Huh. So do you take that mindset into today, which is it actually is not necessarily better to be the incumbent or the progressive or better to be the physical or the digital? Because I think there is, as we talk about bias, a preference towards the digital today. I mean, if Absolutely. I think about, you mentioned investing, VCs will throw ridiculous multiples at tech companies, but a lot less, it seems, at a product-based company. Yeah, you know, physical. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so, so I think there's two issues that you raise, which are important. The first is, you know, where are the economic rents being aggregated? And right now that's shifting towards the digital, you know, the, the, the digital players. Um, but I think the other thing you highlight is that the younger generation, especially in Silicon Valley, right, in, in Stanford, is like they want to stay in their little pristine worlds of, of, of computers and, and free food inside of our desk. Well, if the pandemic hasn't taught us anything, Right. So the good news is companies like Zoom have done real well, but there's a physical world and we miss it. And like everyone talks about, hopefully we're going to get to the roaring 20s and, you know, the younger generation is going to go out and have a great time. Well, they're going to want to like leave their homes and they're going to want to go out in the physical world. And when you go out in the physical world, how you're going to consume food and alcohol and where you're going to travel to and all of the things you're going to want to do for entertainment, it's going to be a combination of digital and physical. The physical world is not going away. And so while I understand that there is a an attraction to the digital world, we can't forget that we are seven and a half billion people on a rock hurtling through space, yeah. right? And so like there is something to, you know, you talked about the metaverse. I'd rather go to Paris than wear a damn headphone <laughs> that shows me the loop, right? Okay, it's, yeah. it's not the same. It's not the same. Right. It's just not the right. same. So, you know, your book is essentially saying how companies did it. And I'm curious, what were your surprising findings, right? You're obviously... Uh, you have a, a, an amazing CV, a lot of experience. I'd imagine you approached it not only with bias, but with probably correct assumptions. What were the assumptions that were proven wrong? Well, I don't know if I, if I had correct assumptions. There were lots of things that were wrong. I mentioned earlier, we thought the disruptors were going to just destroy yeah. the world. And yeah, we were wrong. Yeah. I, you know, what's funny, it, it was the blend of intelligence IQ and EQ that repeatedly came up that I that I think we found the most impressive. And I'll give you a couple examples. You know, we, we did the chapter on analytics and, and the company we looked at was Charles Schwab. And Schwab, you know, $7 trillion under management. And what's interesting is you don't think of, okay, when I think of a great analytics company, Schwab's not what comes to mind. But what was interesting was when we talked to the leaders there about how they use data and they have a ton of data, what was more important to them was what was the North Star about how they use the data. And so let me give you an example. If somebody logs in to a website on Schwab and they go to life events divorce, at that moment in time, Schwab may know you're headed to a divorce and they may know before your spouse does. And the question that Schwab always asks themselves is, what do we do with this data? What are we supposed to do with this data? I mean, that's kind of one of the questions where Schwab, there are always versus if we look at this opportunity through clients' eyes, what would our clients want? Now, let me juxtapose that to Facebook, which has some of the greatest data engineers and data scientists on the planet. But the sense from the, you know, for the conventional wisdom from users is Facebook will use our data for whatever they think is in Facebook's interest, not what's in my interest. And I think that kind of missing humanity 
of Facebook is part of the reason why they are under the, the, you know, the gun so much. Now, economically, they're doing fine, but everybody hates them. There's yeah. a reason for that. Yeah. Similarly, when I looked at um, Bernard Tyson, the former CEO of Kaiser Permanente, he used to talk about empathy. And so we talk about the amygdala as one of the, the brainy attributes for, as part of our brain about empathy and understanding. He used to talk about empathy not only for his doctors and his nurses and his members, but he talked about empathy for the government. You know, he would go to Washington. Washington was the biggest payer for Kaiser Permanente. And they would, you know, they regulate everything that happens in healthcare. And even if Bernard had a political perspective and point of view, when he looked at somebody, be they a Democrat or a Republican, he always said, this person represents some of my members. This person represents the people whom I serve and have to take care of. So even if I disagree with this person politically, I have to understand where they're coming from and understand that these, these elected representatives represent the people who I'm supposed to provide health you know, care for. And so I just, that, that, that softer side of a very, very difficult industry in healthcare, that, that was something that I always found this blend of EQ and IQ. The last example I'll give, go back to Johnson & Johnson on, on the physical side, on the brawny side, I talk about stamina and the ability to survive over time. And when Alex Gorski would come to class, he would talk about the importance of the credo. You know, you walk into any Johnson & Johnson building and they have the credo that's on the wall right there. And in the credo, it talks about the four constituencies they serve. And they say that this is in order of priority. Number one, patients. Number two, doctors and nurses. Number three, communities. And number four, shareholders. Like, that's a big deal when you say shareholders are fourth. Four, yeah. And it's not that, by the way, Johnson & Johnson hasn't had some of its own challenges, you know, with, with issues around the opioid crisis, et cetera. But like the IQ and EQ side of this was, was really one of the critical things of a lot of the companies we studied. And the best disruptors also had some of that EQ side as well as the IQ side. When you talk about IQ and EQ, again, I keep getting back to, you know, tough to blend, disparate strengths. How much of this ability to thrive today in both the physical and digital, so to blend, starts with your top, top, top leaders? Or how much is individuals who, you know, are willing to risk and things like that? Okay, so I absolutely positively, the people at the top have to be bought in. In fact, we found that there were three attributes uh, of companies that were successful in going through these transitions. And George Kleokoff, who's now the head of the Pac-12, um, he actually kind of identified these things first and he was right. Number one, the CEO has to be bought in. It can't be like some crazy group of innovation over to the side, like the CEO has to be bought in. Number two, you need to create a structure so that your employees have the ability to see their careers grow if they take real risks, right? You know, and, and then maybe they can create you know, opportunities for economic upside as well as career upside if they take the risk. Otherwise, why take the risk? And the third thing is patience because innovation is messy and takes a long time. So that, you know, that's one thing. So, but you have to have people at the top. You know, the other thing that you talk about is the, the individuals, you need to make it personal. And so when we studied AB InBev, you know, the big beer company, um, uh, Carlos Brito, who just retired as the CEO, he created a new office called the Chief Disruptive Growth Officer. And he tapped one of his rising stars, a guy named Pedro Rupp, and said, Pedro, I want you to be the Chief Disruptive Growth Officer. And Pedro was like, yeah, dude, sounds awesome. What's that? Right. And, and Brito looks at him and says, you go figure it out. So, you know, he spends some time thinking about it and he comes back three days later and he says, look, Brito, no matter what I do, like, even if I'm hugely successful, I'm going to have a small impact on the organization for the next few years because the organization is so big and innovation is small and it's going to take time. How do I know if I've been successful? 
And Brito looks at him and says, you'll know you're successful when your job is no longer necessary, when you've infected the whole organization to operate differently and to be different. Now think about that for a second. You're Pedro or if you're a rising star in a big company. And by the way, success and power is measured by how many people you report to you, right. how big your budget is. And the boss just told you success is you design yourself out of a job. Right. right? That's taking risks which is you have to personally say, I'm going to take the risk to try to do something because otherwise AB InBev wasn't going to survive. So at that point in time, Erp might as well take the risk because otherwise he's part of a dying ship. And so it's like, not only does the organization need to change and does the CEO need to be involved, but you know, individuals need to actually internalize this and say, if I don't do this, I might as well leave because the, the organization is going to die if we don't go through it. It sounds like when you were saying leaders need to be bought in, they need to be bought in on going digital going innovative, as opposed to digital companies going physical, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I'm going to argue you have to be both. So here, let me give you the other side of it. Um, with our students, I will often ask them, have you been in a factory? And so few hands go up. You know, have you ever seen a CNC machine? Okay, so we couldn't get masks at the start of the pandemic, right? And would our students, some of the brightest people in the world, know how to make a mask that would save people's lives? And the answer was no. And so I think one of the things that's going to happen is the digital uh, organizations, as they move into physical worlds and you move into new markets, you've got to understand how it works. You know, if you if you remember airplanes, Chris, you remember before mm -hmm. the pandemic, we used to fly yeah. on airplanes. You know, when, last time you flew on an airplane, you were really happy that those aircraft engines were not designed using Agile and Scrum. Okay, it's like, that's a good thing that it wasn't designed using stickies up on a wall with different colors. Sure. That doesn't mean there aren't part of the design process you can't make faster, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, if you're going to think digitally, you've got to understand how the physical world works because those are your customers and that's how they consume things. And so the, you know, the world is going to have this digital and physical. If you are, you know, Microsoft, when they talk to a large industrial company, I would argue that even Microsoft, which is a great company, you know, Satya has done an unbelievable job, but when they go in to make a sale, they're just trying to sell office, right? You know, they're right. trying to sell yeah. office 365. They're not thinking about how do I help those, the people I'm selling to make their business better. Right. And I think when you change your mindset much more as of understanding, do I understand my customer's business? Do I know how my customers make money? You, if you're on the digital side, you better understand that the, the CEO of Autodesk, um, Andrew Anagnos, when he comes to class, they're designing software for making things, buildings, et cetera. And he knows those buildings are going to be connected. So he's got to think about how does the software redesign enable that to happen for our customers? Uh, and so if, if you're selling into the uh, a world that makes physical things and serves customers, you better understand the customer's business. Otherwise, you'll never serve them adequately. Do you have any examples or did you study any companies who actually failed, went out of business, went bankrupt, et cetera, due to their inability to blend both of these? You know, it's funny. I, I saw companies that have struggled and I also saw companies um, where leaders didn't get it done. And that's kind of harder because, you know, my classroom is supposed to be a safe place, but uh, it, I think if we look at the existing mobility companies, you know, and, and in fact, one of the cases that, um, that I talk about in the book is Daimler. And, you know, Daimler, you know, with Mercedes, they have this amazing manufacturing and design capability for physical cars. But when cars become moving collections of sensors that move people from point A to point B, you know, Mercedes wanted to kind of control everything. 
and they wanted to control the user experience, et cetera. So where many people want to use their smartphones to use Waze or to listen to Spotify, you know, Mercedes, their initial reaction was, we want to control that experience because we want it to be a quintessential Mercedes experience. And that's a tough thing to do. And, and when you're dealing with electrification and what, what Musk is doing with Tesla, and that's stealing your market, and then how the car works is stealing things, and then kind of you're trying to preserve a brand. You know, I saw the auto companies that we studied, they really struggled. Uh, the old people from the old leadership teams who really didn't really embrace digital and what was happening, that was some tougher areas. I think from the, um, the digital side, people who didn't understand physical, I think, you know, sometimes we would see hubris uh, with you know, people understanding the responsibility uh, with larger, you know, when you're a digital company that sometimes you, the larger companies will see the bigger picture because they've survived over time. You know, we had Robin Hood in, it was really funny. This was a few years ago. And, and, and Beju was, Beju Bhatt at the time was the co-CEO, very compelling man, you know, very tells a great story about what he was trying to do with the company with Vlad, yeah. what he hoped it would be. But I got to tell you, the students didn't believe them. Like I believed him more than the students did because wow. the students, this was two, three years ago. They were like, you're just trying to kind of, you know, get people to trade stocks and you're trying, you're not doing what you should be doing to make sure that they're highly educated on it. And he was on his heels the whole time. And I think that there was a skepticism uh, about tech that, 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 that people like just because the, you know, the part of the, 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 the physical side, understanding all of those things that have to go along. It's not just your, your IQ, it's your EQ. And sometimes I think the digital companies miss that. So I think that the, you, you see different types of failures from leaders, as well as from companies, depending upon, you know, where they were from at a moment in time. Robin Hood is a fantastic example. It's a great case study. And here's why uh, most people who haven't been under a rock saw what Robinhood has gone through just in the past few months with the GameStop thing and, yep. and all that, right? And and now it looks like they're going to pull out of it and they're moving to crypto and all these things. And like, it's a digital product. I mean, through and through, it's as digital as you get. I mean, their their solution was, we're going to make it easier. We're going to we're going to simplify and not quite gamify investing. Oh, no, 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 for... no, no. They absolutely gamified it. Okay, you used to get okay. confetti when you bought it. When you bought it. Like, Yay, uh, I don't even remember that. Okay. I remember so, doing that in class. I bought a stock in class and I had my phone up there and I projected it for everyone to see it. Oh, there was confetti when I bought a share of stock. That's a good point. So yeah, gamify <laughs> it. Uh, but the physical aspect, which I thought was going to break them, was you know, people were over leveraged, right? And so that's a digital, it's a digital product, but a physical problem of do people understand money and all of that? Well, and I think there are a couple of potential challenges down the road. And by the way, they're worth a lot of money. So it's hard yeah. to argue that it's been a horrible failure, but sure. remember when they when they they tried to do, you know, savings and checking accounts and then they yeah. got shut down by the government. Yeah. That's one of the things that incumbents tend to understand is you need to know how to work with government and uh, the digital disruptors are kind of generally pretty naively blind on it. You know, if you look in the fintech space historically from PayPal on, you know, when a company comes up with generally a best in class solution at one small part of the stack, and then over time, when they want to grow, they go into adjacent parts of, 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 of the, the financial services market. Let's look at Charles Schwab. We talked about them earlier. They started as a stock trading, you know, platform. Now they're a full featured financial services firm. You go onto the website, you can get mortgages and checking and savings, and you can buy ETFs. And there's all sorts of things that you can do with Schwab as they fully expanded. 
Well, one could argue that Robinhood's going to have to do that too over time. The, the, the bet is the following between those two types of organizations. Schwab is betting that when the younger generation who starts on Robinhood collects more assets as previous generations have had, they will want high quality, high glove service, white glove service at a low cost basis, um, which Schwab can give them. Yeah. And they'll be able to do that. So, so they believe people will graduate up to Schwab. Yeah. Whereas Robinhood is betting that they'll be able to add those services and keep the people on over time. In five years, when you next net, next have me on the podcast, that's yeah. when we'll know who was right. Was you know was Vlad in the team right at Robinhood or was Walt in the team right at Schwab? That's an interesting way to put it. I like it. I like it. Making it uh, that tangible helps with this understanding, especially, I mean, again, Robinhood being basically an app. It's as digital as it gets. Dealing with one of the most physical things, right? Our money yeah. and our investments yeah. and our, our tangible hard assets. Uh, you mentioned something there. You said we had them in. It sounds like you brought them into the classroom. Is this how you do a lot of your research or how does that work? I'm curious. <laughs> so look, I'm not that charming and I'm not that good looking. Okay. Thank God, you know, I, I, I've become a television star because of teaching on Zoom, but I've got a face for podcasts, right? This is kind of what I was built for. But the great thing about this is, when you get to teach at a place like Stanford, you can call people up and say, hi, I'm Rob, and I teach these courses. And would you be willing to come to Stanford? And you'd be amazed that people will say yes. Sure. And so a lot of, you know, I'm also, I've been around a while, right? I had a 30 year operating career. So I've met a few people in my life. And so, you know, if you invite them to come to Stanford, they will come in and we'll build a case study. Sometimes around stuff we'll see in the mainstream press. Sometimes I'll actually write a case on the actual company and we do it for research. And then we bring the guests into the classroom. And so I'll teach a case with, you know, generally about 84 students in a class. And if I do it well, I'll get half the room fighting and saying A and half the room fighting saying B. And then you bring the guest up to the front of the room and then he or she will say, yeah, you got it all wrong because here's what was really going on. And so over the, over the last, you know, seven years in these two courses, we've had over 80 guests uh, from different companies that have come in and they've been kind enough to share, you know, what's working and what's not and what's gone well and what's been a struggle. Here's where I want to go is we're starting to wrap up is let's say I'm listening to this or I read the book and I get it. You know, here's what I'm taking away. Okay. One understanding digital versus physical uh, IQ versus EQ understanding the needs and a lot of the things we've talked about, it's important. It's coming uh, to survive. We have to understand both. So we have to be able to work together or walk across strengths and things like that. But how do I do it? Because this seems like one of those things that is like, I get it makes sense. And I move on, but I know it can't be like that. So what do you recommend? So there are four questions that I ask, whether it's a company I work with or if the conversation I'm having with somebody and I'll say, start with these four questions. Number one, what do these changes mean for your customers? Like, ignore yourself for a second. What's going on with your customers and how are these changes impacting their business? Number two, what is your company already doing? that kind of provides unfair competitive advantage. Like you don't want to throw out the baby with the bathwater. What's like the thing that you're doing that your company is providing for these customers that really matters. The third thing is what is your company not doing that you know you need to be doing? And almost always the companies already have the answer to that, which right. is which is like, yeah, we need to be doing this and we're not doing it because we're stopping ourselves. Uh, the last thing I say is, you know, the, the final chapter in the book is about systems leadership. And we talk about some of the attributes of great systems leaders and how systems leaders work. I say, how are you going to change your behaviors? Katrina Lake, the chairman of Stitch Fix, um, she asks her direct reports every year one question. 
if you were hiring for your job today, would you hire yourself? Wow. Now, if you ask that question in a room full of executives, especially in an, in an established organization, you'll watch half of them lose the color in their face. Right. right. Because, you know, they've been rewarded for doing what was good before. Right. You get rewarded, you get promoted, you get more money and you do. And now all of a sudden the world's changed. And then you have to ask yourself the honest question of like, am I the best person for this job? Yeah. And if not, what are you going to do about it? So I have found that if somebody starts with these four questions, that kind of starts the journey. You can teach yourself about artificial intelligence and, and additive manufacturing and analytics and automation. Like there's, you know, on the internet, there's a lot of, you know, great stuff out there. You can take a class online. There's so many ways to do it, but it really kind of starts with, are you willing to kind of start the journey and do it yourself? Yeah. I, it reminds me of um, somebody we had on the podcast. I'm not going to give away too many details, but they were a uh, chief marketing executive and as for for a long time over a decade and they moved aside because they realized this digitization of marketing was not a strength and they went into what uh where they were strong and it was just i thought that was like really impressive and you know to your point you kind of have to do it when you know it's moving in a direction that uh you might not want to or be willing to to consider well, i would argue by the way that there are two attributes to this. One is, you know, are you going to move into that area? Like there's nothing about digital marketing that somebody couldn't train themselves if they were willing That's to. True. I guess the question is, did that person want to? Right. And, 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 so, and, yeah. and, 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 and by the way, if you decide you don't want to, stepping aside is the right answer. Uh, but, you know, I think the first is like a lot of the stuff that we're talking about is not rocket science. Like it is not like, oh my God, you know, I, I need to go back and get a PhD in something in order to make it happen. You don't need to know how to sling code to understand how artificial intelligence is going to impact your industry and impact your company. And you can learn about it and then think about what the implications are. So it's a choice really. I mean, I'm actually very optimistic. I think there's a lot of exciting things that are going to happen going forward and things that like when I was, you know, earlier in my career, I couldn't do. I think the younger generation is going to get to do some amazingly fun stuff, yeah. um, but these are choices. We, we had, we have a choice to do these things and I'm a huge optimist. Yeah. It's funny you say that about, you know, cause I was thinking about digitization and it is complicated. Like you said, you don't have to be a rocket scientist, but I wrote something down you said earlier, which was, uh, I think it was Schwab asked, what do we do with this data? Like to me, as somebody who that's, I'm more like, how do I work with this person? Uh, what do I do with this data is a terrifying question that I don't know how I would figure the answer out to. So it does seem <laughs> okay. like, I think you're trying to, to in a good way, uh, present digital to physical folks in a way that doesn't seem as scary with that statement. Well, I, I, yes, I think that, that physical folks need to understand what data is, but there's the human side of data. Again, I gave a couple of stories on it, which is what are you going to do with it? Just because you can do it doesn't mean you should do it. And there's going to be a role for humans in the loop. Uh, you know, yeah. if you don't put humans in the loop, you're going to get, you know, the Nazi spew and Microsoft bot on Twitter. If yeah. you remember a few years ago, <laughs> you can't leave these things alone because bad point. things will happen. Um, and, so, and so that's one side of it. The other side of it is, by the way, the digital people need to learn from the physical people. This is like, if, 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 if this is not just about old people need to be retrained, you know, <laughs> Uber killed people with how they, you know, were doing their autonomous driving. Like, holy crap, they killed people. This is not like, hi, I've got to reboot the app. Right, And right, so right. when you get this wrong, people die when you go into healthcare and mobility and transportation and autonomous systems. So if you don't learn 
from the other side, then you're never going to be successful. You know, no matter where you went to university, no matter, you know, how smart you are, no matter where, you know, what it is, like, if you don't understand kind of how stuff works, and by the way, if you're going to then deal with manufacturing, do you understand, like, what does it mean to create jobs in manufacturing? Mm-hmm. What does it mean to have a factory? How do you need to help those people be successful? Right. right. Because if you don't help those people be successful, we're going to, have to see a lot of the same problems we've had for the last 20 years. And so I, I, you know, the digital people and the digital side also need to learn. You need to learn how to work with government. You know, you don't like government. Who cares? Government's your new business partner. Yeah, they, they, that's true. Welcome to the 21st century. Yes, that is true. I got to ask you this. Let's imagine somebody goes, picks up your book. What's the one thing you want them to take away from it? Optimism. Optimism. Towards? Yeah. Well, I, you kind of summarized it well. There's three lessons, which is the world's blending digital and physical. Um, you know, incumbents are not doomed and, and disruptors are not ordained. And it takes a new type of leadership and that's systems leadership. Those are kind of like the three messages in the book, but I, it's, those are optimistic messages for me because that they means are. no matter what that, yeah, it's within control. I'm not ending asking people to bend light in a way that light's never been bent before. That's hard. Like, don't <laughs> ask me to dunk a basketball. I'm the short bald guy in front of the classroom. That's hard. <laughs> but the idea that I need to learn new things and I need to kind of have a, an open mind towards things. And I'm going to need to molt my shell and molt my skin so that I can be more successful. There's nothing that stops people from doing that. It's about desire and want. And there are so many awesome things that we're going to be able to do, you know, with all of these capabilities. This is an optimistic time. And I love how you said start with the customer too. I think that just resonates with me, especially when things seem scary or they're not our strengths is we tend to go, how does it impact me? How do I do it? What's the result? But if you say, you know, what, what does it mean for them and how can I use this understanding to better serve them? Also optimistic, outwardly, external. You know what I mean? Absolutely. So Rob, the book, The Brains and Brawn Company, love that title, by the way. The Brains and Brawn Company, how leading organizations blend the best of digital and physical uh, recently out just a few weeks ago. Uh, Congrats on that. Where those who are interested in this or in a position where they need to understand this better, uh, where would you like to guide them? Do Do you blog? Do you, are you on social? Of course, we'll link to the book. So the, there's a, the website, Robert E. Siegel, S-I-E-G-E-L.com has a lot of my blog writings and everything else. Uh, industrialstilemma.com and systemsleadership.io are websites from the classes where there are a lot of blog posts about our guests. Uh, the book can be bought on Amazon or Barnes and Noble or your favorite bookstore uh, close to Physical home. and digital, huh? Physical and digital. <laughs> you can do both. You can do it. Uh, and, and if anybody wants to reach out, I'm at Rob Siegel on Twitter. I'm on LinkedIn. And so I'm, you know, I'm kind of hard to, to miss and I'm easy to find. So I'd be happy to support anybody if they want to ask me any follow-up questions. Awesome. I appreciate it, Rob. Thanks so much for taking the time. Thanks, Chris, for having me. A real honor. All right. That was our interview with Robert Siegel. Hope you enjoyed it. Robert's book, The Brains and Brawn Company, How Leading Organizations Blend the Best of Digital and Physical, can be found wherever books are sold. And if you're still listening right now, I just wanted to say a quick thank you for supporting the show. Smart People Podcast is still a two-man operation with me and Chris, so all the support that you give us is greatly appreciated. If you ever want to help support the show financially, you can always support us over on Patreon at patreon.com slash smartpeoplepodcast. And if you want to support the show in a free way, you can always reach out to friends and family, send them a couple episodes of the show that you think they might like. Any listeners that you can bring to the show will greatly help our show grow 
And that's really all we can ask from you. All right. If you ever want to reach out to the show, you can email us at smartpeoplepodcast at gmail.com or message us on Twitter at smartpeoplepod. And if you want to stay up to date with all things Smart People Podcast, head over to the website, smartpeoplepodcast.com and sign up for the newsletter. All right. That's it for us this week. We truly appreciate you listening to the show. We've got a lot of great episodes coming up and pretty soon we will be back to weekly episodes. So stay tuned for that and we'll see you all next episode.